Hello everybody, this is Surat from the Sparking Entrepreneur Show and today we have a wonderful person, J.R. Kobe with us. A narrative coach or consultant helping people recognize where in their life they are predisposed to negative expectation and how those perspectives may be influencing them. He teaches a CBT or narrative therapy supported curriculum called Fear Proof. His clients span across dozens of cultures, all age groups, and every socio-economic background. This includes every walk of life from military first responders to executives from abuse victims to and human trafficking survivors to stay-at-home parents because fear is the most universal of human experiences. So without further delay, let's welcome Jair. Jair, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to connect with your audience. We will talk about how you are helping your people. But before that, let's dive into your stories. Like what exactly inspired you to become a coach and how did you get started into this profession? And more importantly, why did you choose this career? Yeah, so it's funny because I don't really feel like I chose this career. I feel like this career just found me. I got married to my wife, who I was convinced was perfect in every way. And within the first couple of weeks, discovered that she had post-traumatic stress disorder from a very abusive, very traumatic childhood. And from day one, my wife, who is anybody that knows her, my wife is a doll. She is adorable. She's sweet. Everybody loves her everywhere. She's kind. But we would be doing something and out of nowhere, she would snap. And it was like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It was so opposite of who she was. I realized something else had to be happening. This wasn't about the thing we were actually talking about. We'd be talking about what we were going to have for dinner, and then she'd freak out. And I'd be like, okay, we don't have to have spaghetti. <laughs> we can eat something else. And in the process of recognizing that I committed to my wife for life, I didn't join a covenant that I was planning on ever getting out of, I had to figure out what to do with this. How do I help my wife? How do I best support and encourage her into her healing journey? And so in that process, I, I did a deep dive into, at that point, what I thought was the greatest source I could look to, which was my Bible. I went into a very deep dive word study about fear and anxiety, because my wife and I both have a very strong faith background. And in the process of doing that research, we started sharing the thoughts that we had with other people. And then I woke up in the middle of the night one night with this really strong conviction that I've got this message that I need to share with people, but it has to start with me facing my own fear. And I know my core fear after doing this long enough is insecurity and not being good enough. So giving somebody the opportunity to grade me and evaluate me was terrifying. And so for me, facing my greatest fear was going back to school and getting my degree in counseling psychology. And so I went back to school and got my degree and in the process realized that everything evidence-based science had to say about fear and anxiety was actually the same things that we were saying in the Bible. They were just using different terminology. And what we had come at from a faith-based perspective turned into a scientific perspective that was inadvertent. <laughs> I wasn't trying to go back to school to become a coach or to become a counselor or to become a consultant. I was doing it to face my own fear. And in the process came across this world and wealth of knowledge where scientists were saying all of the same things that our faith perspective was, just using different words for it. And so it got into it as honestly just trying to serve my wife, trying to help my family, trying to be the best husband and father I could be. That's an incredible story. And how's your wife now? Amazing. My wife has every excuse to be a failure, and yet she is unbelievable. She's incredible. She's She works for the largest nonprofit in the world. She's working to end malaria wow. globally. She's 
an incredibly accomplished violinist. She's a speaker herself in her own right, an author. My wife's amazing, but she, based on her background and where she started, has every excuse to be on the side of a street with a needle in her vein. And because of your wife, uh, now you are like, yeah. And yeah, she walked me into my calling inadvertently. That's a beautiful thing. Okay, so we will talk about like fear is like, like it happens with each and every person. So we all have fear, right? People are always yes. moved towards with the two things. Either they are just uh, having a desire to do or maybe they have the fears to do. And sometimes fear is totally heavier on us. And each and every point of every individual, they always fears or like they always get a lot of stress about fears. And like some people are break down there and they do not go with the life they are having a lot of problems like it's a natural thing so you tell us as you are experts so how do someone having a lot of fears and how to overcome them is it so by understanding them or is it by any action things that they need to take or both of those are true yes so the very first thing that i always want people to realize is that they have the power to write their own narrative the world is going to give them a narrative culture is going to give them a narrative their family of origin is going to give them a narrative Every place around them is going to give them input, but what they do with that input is up to them. Most of us don't understand the concept of taking your thoughts captive, mm -hmm. being able to disagree with a thought. Most people assume that if I have a thought, it must be concrete reality. I must emotionally enmesh with it, accept it, and build my truth around that thought because it was my thought. And I encourage people everywhere to disagree with yourself. Do it daily. Have a thought, because we all have them. Every day I have thoughts that are selfish, that are vain, that are greedy, that are judgmental. I have stupid thoughts every day. Yeah. But what we do with those thoughts is up to us. And the better you get at learning how to manage and control your narrative, the easier it gets. Honestly, mm -hmm. when you first start doing this process, it's like hacking a path through the jungle. It feels so awkward and so uncomfortable. It feels like you're lying to yourself. Because you've accepted for so long whatever that, and I'm going to use finger quotes, truth is about yourself, others, and the world around you, that it's hard to rewrite that narrative. But the easier it gets with practice, the more natural it becomes. And that becomes the new default. You're much more able to go, you know what, that was a really selfish, arrogant, prideful, whatever thought. That's not who I want to be. I'm going to choose to think a thought about this situation that's in my best interest. Because we can perceive what happens to us in whatever way we want to. I can see somebody doing something that I'm offended by as either intentional, mm -hmm. like they kicked me in the shins, or unintentional, like they stepped on my toes. Now, whether it'll hurt whether I get my shin kicked or my toes stepped on, but how I process that going forward, how I perceive that, what I think that says about me or that relation dynamic, or I can see that person as, man, that person's just having a really rough day. The thing they're stressed about probably isn't me. Mm. But we like to be the center of our own story. And so we try and superimpose ourselves as the hero in somebody else's story. We're the focal point of how they're experiencing the world, when in all actuality, we very rarely ever are. Mm. Everybody, because we are human, designed to try and function in the world around us, is way more concerned about themselves than they are about anybody else. And that's how our brain is designed to work. Yeah. We're trying to just function, do the best you can where you are with what you've got. And it's basically, if I talk about what is fear, if I just want to add some little bit of experience from my end, I was like very much having a lot of fears within myself in my childhood. And 
I was in that mood. I cannot speak to any unknown person. And I could not do some things that is like out of my fears. And I have never ever be able to broke my comfort, the comfort things. And it's pretty much I was in under the set of fear. So one day I realized after learning all the scientific ways as well as all the scriptures and getting knowledge. Because I believe that if you have any problem, then first you have to get the knowledge. Then you will decide the level of your understanding exactly what it is. So I yeah. started to reading books and all. And one thing like I realized that I need to face my fear in order to grow in yeah. my won't believe that today it's not like that. I'm just only saying I do not have any kind of fears to anything. So the definition that I give for fear, which makes it something that because honestly, people think about fear in the wrong way. People think fear is this horrible, yeah. bad thing that should be shameful. Yeah. When in actuality, our brain is designed to predict danger that's yes. what it's doing and so like fear, our brain is always in like the survival mode yeah it's what that's what it's supposed to do and the and fear that there's a reason we don't call it fear less we call it fear proof because my definition of fear is simply the expectation of a negative outcome and it's okay to expect a negative outcome mm. but I want people to be able to have that expectation of fear and then operate in faith, operate in intellectual processes so that the amygdala and the limbic system and the emotional memory doesn't hijack your higher order thinking skills. So we want fear to be like a flashing neon sign. This is a warning. Like I'm feeling fear. What's going on here? Is there something to address? Is there something that needs to change? Am I thinking something wrong about this situation? Because fear in its proper place is very beneficial. If I'm being chased by a dog, I want my fast twitch motor reflexes to kick in. I want increased oxygenation in my blood flow. I want my focus to narrow. I want fear to do what fear was designed to do. I just don't want that to happen because a client sends me an email or a process takes longer than it's supposed to, or my in-laws are in town. I want to be able to function and operate and think clearly, even in the midst of chaos and difficult times. And I want to leverage fear for what it's good for. I just don't want to ever be ruled by fear or driven by fear. And I believe that what you are doing, it's like your clients are everywhere. <laughs> so yeah. you have also like a lot of your clients coaching success stories. Like you just change your wife's life. So can you please tell us one example of your clients coaching success stories that is nearly close to your heart? Yeah, yeah. So I've got a guy who's become a friend, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, we were doing work in Eastern Europe and there is no developed mental health system over there. If you have mental health issues, they're just as likely to throw you in a padded cell with a straitjacket as they are to try and find help for you. And so I had a client who had a panic attack at work and that freaked out everyone around him. He lost his job. Society was shunning him. He had no idea what to do with the fact that he had a panic attack. And we went through a six week journey where we started to identify where his beliefs were, where did they come from? Are those beliefs he wants to have? And in a process of six weeks, he just realized he had held all of these potential situations as being a much, much greater danger than they really deserved. He was putting so much emotional weight and energy into the potential outcomes that he was driving himself into a manic state and giving himself that. And when he took authority and responsibility and ownership and realized, I'm literally spinning myself into this bad place. I can change that at any point. 
and just derail that cycle. No, I'm not going to spend myself farther into that. I realize, and it starts with becoming self-aware, but at the very beginning of the process, before the limbic system kicks in. Because once your emotional brain kicks in and you lose that higher order thinking skills, you are just going for a ride. You got to come out the other side and then you can process it. So learning how to catch yourself ahead of time. Seven years later, he's now married, has a good job, has two beautiful daughters, and is active participant in his local community. And his life completely changed after six weeks just by taking ownership of his own thought processes. Yeah, and most importantly now, he's happy, his family is also happy. And as a coach, you, it's your purpose to see your clients happy, right? 100%. That's what keeps you going every day. Yeah, yeah, that's the biggest motivation source. <laughs> yeah, I guess since we are into the coaching industry, right now, the artificial intelligence is entering the field and people are into fear about their job, about the things that they, whatever the craft they are doing. What would you see like how the coaching industry is going into the, with the artificial intelligence? I think, unfortunately, when you try and make things too programmatic and reach too broad of an audience and try and create something that's too easy, the more you do that, and unfortunately, oftentimes it's driven by a profit motive, the more people on the edges of that circle you're going to start to lose. And so I tell everyone that I work with, I can't tell anyone how to overcome their fears. I could never tell somebody, here's how you have to overcome your fear. Mm. Because that expectation of a negative outcome was adapted from your life experience, your history, the stories you've been told, the things you've been seen, the things that have happened to you. I can only help people unpack where those expectations came from. And mm. then from that place, work on individual components of that so that we can retrain the limbic system. So I've had people try and push me in a direction. You need to make this so that it's something that everybody can do. And honestly, I don't know if that is something that everybody can do. And I think the more you involve AI and the more you get people out of the process, you're going to find more and more people aren't going to be able to be helped by some cookie cutter template and system. Yeah, got it, got it. And let's talk about some misconceptions that are evolving around mostly into the coaching industry. What are some common misconceptions that you have noticed till now? So honestly, I think the probability of success has way more to do with the state of the mind of the client than it does the quality of a coach or any techniques they use. Because honestly, sure, bad coaches exist, but a bad coach working with somebody who's determined to get healthy will get better results than the best coach in the world working with somebody who is insistent on being a victim. If you aren't willing to say, okay, I've got some things I need to work on, I have agency, I have an internal locus of control, I can affect change, I have an internal locus of responsibility, it's up to me, I can't wait for somebody else to make it happen, you can't fix somebody. All you can do is invite people into a journey. And that's what I try and do with every one of my clients is, I don't ever want to be sitting across a table telling somebody here, mm -hmm. I can just invite them into it. Here's because I've dealt with all of these fears. I've struggled and fallen in all of these ways. I've never had a client that I can't say, yeah, I can totally relate to you. I've been through dark, rough times. I battled with addiction. I battled with serious self-worth issues for years. I worked out of striving and trying to earn people's attention and pleasure and affirmation. And no, I know what being driven by fear looks like because I've been driven by all of them. And if anybody like uh, wants to start their business or wants to start their entrepreneur journey or wants to get into the coaching industry, then normally like whenever we start something, we always get some negative thoughts. And due to that thoughts, yeah. we always get the fears. So 
how do someone like manage those fear be successful in this industry so i think it starts with even just the awareness that you just said i know i'm going into something i'm going where i haven't gone before i'm going to have fear come up i'm going to have failure come up but knowing that along the way i'm going to insist on learning from every one of my mistakes is going to make it much much likelier to find victory and success you have to know before you're getting into it why you're getting into it because you are going to face failure you are going to face rejection you are going to have things that you thought were going to work that didn't work and you have to insist on turning every single one of your failed experiments into a successful lesson okay that totally face planted that really failed that really didn't work what do i do different next time don't get stuck in the what happened move into a place of curiosity and invite yourself into your own growth so that as you're going through and you're running into hurdles and you're trying new things, if everything you do that didn't work is a successful lesson, nothing you did was a failure. Got it. And most importantly, fear of failure always kills 90% of people's dream, right? Fear of failure, I believe fear of failure is the most important thing that in order to manage and or in order to overcome that. So is yeah. it like people need to build the understanding regarding the failure or... Once they feel that they get the fail failure, then after that, they need to manage it. Or what would be the best way to deal with it? So stress is oftentimes lumped into a category where all stress is bad. Stress is a thing that should be avoided. When in actuality, what we think of with stress is distress. There's actually a different category called eustress, which that is the things that we take that are hard, but we use as leverage to motivate us. That's those stories of oftentimes athletes who got cut from the team or who didn't make it at their first attempt and then tried with a different team or went to a different sport or whatever. Those are people who said, I didn't get drafted out of college, but I'm going to make it just to show you that I can. It's people who take that stress and turn it into a positive thing. Mm -hmm. You allow stress to be used as a motivator instead of destroying you then you can actually take it and turn it into a positive thing. But you have to insist on, okay, I'm going to learn from this. I just had a setback last week that was, at the moment, really difficult and frustrating. This deal that I'd worked on for a really long time fell through. But I realized, no, there was really good input out of this. I know how I'm going to do things differently. I know how I can craft things and move things and, and communicate. And everything that came out of it was positive, except for the initial positive I thought I was looking for. And you have already started future fear proof. So tell us about what exactly fear proof is and you are only into the one-on-one -on -one coaching or any other options of also available. Yeah. So honestly, I love doing podcasts and speaking to people. I do speaking engagements and events. I do webinars. I can do conferences and seminars, weekend retreats. I do team coaching as well as individual coaching. Sometimes I'll work with a team within an organization or a church or just a group of friends who are saying, you know what, I realize I've got something to deal with and face and I want to go, I, I want other people to go through this too. Because there is an incredibly normalizing effect when you're sitting around a table with other people and you're all being honest and transparent and you're all sharing and you realize I'm not the only one going through this. Because that's one of the hardest things when you're in the middle of it, you feel isolated and alone. And that keeps you from being able to break through. But when you're sitting through a, a table of people and there's four, five, six, eight, ten other people and everybody's, oh, this happened. And then I thought that about it. And this is how I perceived it. And this is the story I told myself. We start to realize there really is only somewhere between four and seven core fears. 
there's an innumerable number of ways that those fears get packaged because it's specific to every person. But honestly, when you boil it down, the thing that's behind the thing you think you're afraid of is what really needs to get dealt with. So I talk to people all the time and people say, oh, my greatest fear is public speaking. And I tell everyone, no one's greatest fear is public speaking. No one anywhere. Because I can create a situation where public speaking is something you're totally comfortable with. I need you to go and speak to a large group of five-year-old kids and your job is to count to 10 in your native language because they're learning to count. People can go, yeah, you know what? Honestly, that wouldn't be that fear-inducing because there's no power dynamic. I'm not worried about their judgment. I feel fully competent yeah. and capable to deliver the message. It's not the public speaking. It's the implications of public speaking. It's the ramifications mm -hmm. of if I go up there, what if I bomb? What if I look stupid? What if they judge me? What if I fail? It's the stuff below it. And so if you really want to help people find victory, you can't spend all your time chasing the triggers. You got to get to the root of what's really going on. And when you can deconstruct those things, it, it literally changes lives. Yeah. Okay. So, Jer, uh, you are going to write your autobiography, putting all of your life journey experiences and like your knowledge. And how do you keep your name of your autobiography and why? So honestly, the funny thing is it's fear proof because that was originally what I thought I was going to do was write a book. I intended <laughs> on initially just writing a book on all of the stuff that I had discovered. And then ended up getting to sit down, was really blessed to have met a really prominent author and speaker. And he sat down with me and I just talked to him about what I was doing. And he gave me the best advice. He said, okay, here's what I can tell you about all of my books. They all came from me teaching the curriculum in a professional counseling service for hours, for, for years. Now, it doesn't mean you have to have a professional counseling service. It doesn't mean it has to take years. He said, but what it does when you teach it is it gives you the ability to craft the message to reach the broadest possible audience. Because mm -hmm. when you use a story or an analogy and it doesn't land, you can see on the person's face and you can rephrase it. Once it's ink on paper, you don't get another chance. And the other thing is it'll give you the stories that you can incorporate into it. And that's what people are going to connect with. So honestly, there is a fear-proof book that will be coming out. And oh. it's based on my stories with my wife, as well as some of our clients and we're going to share here's how the journey went and it was uncomfortable at times but it's knowing that the end of the thing is worth it that makes you get up and do it again okay i need to rewrite the story i need to fall forward i need to try again that one didn't work what do i do differently how do i do better next time and fear proof the book will be a thing and where can people find once the book is released sure so you can my website right now is fearproof.me me so everybody who comes to my website has to type in fearproof me when they come to look. You can schedule one-on-one -on -one coaching. You can schedule me for a speaking engagement. I, there's links there to other podcasts that I've spoken on and other things that I'm doing. So please, anybody that's interested, come to the website, send me an email, ask me your questions. I'm here. Awesome. Guys, do make sure you follow Jair, wonderful person with great personality. And you can reach out to him by tapping his website. So that was today's episode of the Sparking Entrepreneur Show. Thank you for being on the show and it was an honor to wasting you today. Oh, it's absolutely my privilege. Thanks, Subrat. Thanks again, Jair. So that's it. I'm your host, Subrat, signing off. And you guys have a wonderful day. Bye, guys. <laughs>